Listeners of the Bitch Media Podcast care about society and our future. And so does Oregon State University. Today's workplace requires employees who think creatively and dig for the unique insights that drive change. Explore your passion with the skills that allow you to be a leader in political science. Learn more at ecampus.oregonstate.edu slash political. Upper and lower level seats, guys. Cheaper in the box office. I got them undercover. Won't get rained on. Anyone need tickets, guys? On a super muggy summer day, I join the crowd of people swarming toward Portland's soccer stadium. An afternoon thunderstorm didn't dissuade the thousands of people who were decked out in red and black scarves and hats and t-shirts from lining up outside, eager to get their seats. In the United States, this was a relatively rare sight. Not the fact that people were braving the element to attend a sports game, but the kind of game they were attending. All of these people were turning out to watch women's soccer. 16,942 people, to be exact, bought tickets to this Portland Thorns versus Kansas City match, and they were dang proud of it. Before the match, volunteers handed out sheets of paper bearing the fans' official songs. The fans group is called the Rose City Riveters, like Rosie the Riveter, get it? As the crowd settled into their seats, a live band and energetic superfans called Capos led the arena in a sing-along that I am sure sounded pretty intimidating to the rival team. the women's soccer team plays on the same field as the men's team, which is called the Timbers. And the women's team, the Thorns, is a really good team. They're currently ranked number one out of the National Women's Soccer League's 10 teams. The Timbers have been around for longer and draw more fans, even though they're not as highly ranked, sixth in the men's 10-team Western Conference. But there's one big, unavoidable difference between the teams. The men are paid a lot more. That's right, I'm at this soccer game not to eat hot dogs and cheer on the team and sing heartwarming songs, but to talk about the wage gap. Sports tie into our identity, our history, and our culture in really important ways. Why do 16,000 people turn up for a soccer game on a rainy afternoon? Because the team means something. Why do people get joyous when their team wins and crushed when they lose? Because the game is more than just a game. It connects to their personal identity in some important way. We see the performance of national identity in all the spectacle around the Olympics. We hold up athletes as national heroes, not just because they're good at throwing a ball into a hoop or doing a specific kind of twirl while also wearing ice skates, but because their skills represent values, determination, bravery, and all that stuff. On a smaller scale, our own performance as athletes is supposed to say something deep about who we are. You know, are you fair? Are you a hard worker? A good teammate? A sore loser? A greedy ball hog? So sports are a performance of our values. But then that's at odds with the main driving force that shapes sports all the way from the high school level to the Olympics. Money. While they represent our purest values, 
liberté, fraternité, égalité, etc., etc., modern sports are built around a single framework, capitalism. That tension is what we're talking about on today's show, which is all about the intersection of sports and capitalism. We have an interview with a historian who explored the history of capitalism and the Olympics, and a discussion with author Jessica Luther about the role money plays in college football and the handling of sexual assault. But first, let's get back to the soccer pitch. Across all kinds of professional sports, women are usually paid less than men, and soccer is no exception. In the National Women's Soccer League, the minimum salary for a player is $7,000. The minimum for a men's player is $60,000. The maximum salary for women in the National Women's Soccer League is $39,000. The maximum salary for men is $3 million. This inequality stems from all sorts of reasons that you can easily guess. The men's team sell more tickets, they have more sponsors, they've been around longer, there's bigger hype around them, they have different union negotiations, they get more airtime on TV, systemic sexism as women in all industries face a wage gap. But one group of soccer players recently asked a big question. Hey, if we had just as big of an audience as the men's team and actually performed better, shouldn't we get paid the same, at least? Take it away, CBS Evening News. Today, five of America's top athletes filed a federal complaint charging that soccer pays women a pittance to win world championships while it pays big to the men who lose them. Here's Jim Axelrod. Again, the flick from John Stein, loose. When the U.S. women's soccer team won the World Cup last year, they drew the highest TV ratings for any soccer game in American history men or women. They also got a nice parade and a bonus from the U.S. Soccer Federation of $75,000 for each player, according to the filing. Compare that to the men's team. If they won a World Cup, they'd get more than $390,000 as a first place bonus. This spring, five players of the U.S. women's national team, that's the team that plays in the World Cup and in the Olympics, filed a federal complaint saying that their paid showed pure discrimination. Sports Illustrated reports that in 2017, the women's team is projected to bring in a profit of $5.2 million after all the costs and everything, while the men's team is likely to lose $1 million. But when you add up all the bonuses and salaries and stuff, the average player on the women's team makes 40% less than the average men's player. Here's soccer star Hope Solo, who was one of the five people who filed the complaint, explaining her motivations on the Today Show. You know, Matt, I've been on this team now for a decade and a half, and I've been through numerous CBA negotiations, and honestly, not much has changed. We continue to be told we should be grateful just to have the opportunity to play professional soccer and to get paid for doing it. And in this day and age, you know, it's about equality. It's about equal rights. It's about equal pay, and we're pushing for that. And The group that runs the two national soccer teams, it's called U.S. Soccer, has come back saying, hey, your union negotiated this contract, you signed off on it, so don't come after us now. They also say that it's unfair to, quote, cherry-pick the profit and loss info from this past year because the Women's World Cup win was exceptional, and that doesn't come along very often. But now, as the Olympics looms and the women will once again be playing on an international stage, they're not backing down. At a Chicago match against South Africa's national team this July, the team wore shirts saying equal play, equal pay 
and spoke out in media outlets, asking for the same financial compensation, playing conditions, and travel arrangements as their male counterparts. In one video, fans also pushed for equal play, equal pay. Every single day we sacrifice just as much as the men. We work just as much. We endure just as much physically and emotionally. The pay disparity between the men and women is, is just too large, and, and now it's our job to, to keep on fighting. Equal play, equal pay. Equal pay for equal play. Equal play, equal pay. The equal play, equal pay message seems to be getting some traction. So will the Olympics give the soccer team the high-profile platform they need to actually push for change? We'll see. Meanwhile, back at the Thorns game, I was busy bothering soccer fans for their opinions on the wage gap. So let me find a Thorns patch. Where do I have? This guy, 45-year-old Travis Diskin, was wearing an old jacket covered in really cool-looking embroidered patches. With such a colorful array, I had to ask what the patches were all about and each patch represented some aspect of soccer fandom. Um, this patch here is a, a melding of the Cascadia tree for the timbers, and then the rose and uh, sunburst for the thorns, showing that uh, there's people who supports both groups here. I asked Travis about his thoughts on soccer's wage gap. The, the women's national, U.S. women's national team is you know, the, some of the best players in the world, and the U.S. women perform better than most other nations, so they should be paid at least equally what what the U.S. men's team are. And they're a poorer performing team than other teams internationally. People like Travis have been watching soccer for a long time, but I wondered what the younger generation thinks about the wage gap. Is it even on their radar? So I walked up to a group of three 18-year-old girls who had just graduated from high school. Hi, I'm talking to soccer fans for a radio show. Could I interview you guys really quickly? Okay, great. These girls definitely already knew about soccer's wage gap, and they had lots of thoughts on why women were paid less. I think that it probably has to do with the hype that surrounds men's sports, and especially men's soccer, as opposed to women's soccer, because people don't really think of women's as being um, exciting or getting the crowds. And that's probably true. It doesn't get as much profit as men's. So I can see the reasoning for why men would be paid more, but I, I don't think it's really fair because they're doing the same work and because women bring home such big titles as well that I really don't think it's fair. Also with um, how the trend is always been going on with men being paid more, it kind of makes sense that that's what's going on with the sports as well. But since we're all girls, it, we um, strongly oppose that and we feel that they should be paid at least equal, especially with how successful both of them are, they should be both rewarded the same. I have to wonder, since sports reflect our values, what values do the unequal pay in women's soccer reflect to these 18-year-olds? What does the fact that their favorite players have to fight for equal pay tell them, loud and clear, about their own future job prospects and what awaits them in the workforce as adults? It's not a rosy picture, but it's an honest one. They're trying to war. They're trying